You're not scared of Carolina uh, whatsoever, are you? <clears throat> no. I'll make a brand new start of it in old New York. Here's Darnold's throw to the goal line, and Griffin reaches back, and it's a touchdown. And here's Saquon Barkley. For the Tri-State Sports Beat with your hosts Nick Federico, Scott DeBell, and Joe Bruno. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Tri-State Sports Beat. Nick and Scott here, and I hope that we sound a lot better than we normally Holy do. Holy crap! This is sick. This, this is, is so this sick. Is quite sick, Scott. I feel like a literal professional, even though I'm <laughs> sitting on my couch watching a terrible baseball game at four o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday afternoon. So we have afternoon, a... afternoon, afternoon. I don't know why I just said <laughs> afternoon so many times. Well, we have a new setup here at the Tri-State Sports Bee. We we have gone full on analog. We spent a quite a quite a quite a couple bucks to get the equipment that we have here, but hopefully it pays off for us. I think it will already because we have these wonderful sound pads, and um, yeah, we're ready. Which allows us to throw back to Joe's, you know, tough take about not being scared about the Carolina Hurricanes. Fun fact. The Lightning Blue Jackets team lasted almost as long as the Rangers spent in the Stanley Cup qualifiers. <laughs> Absolutely true. So, welcome everybody to episode number 115, of course, of the Tri-State Sports Beat. Just Nick and Scott here. Joe will not be able to make it tonight, so we will bash on his Rangers without him talking back to us. That'll be nice, right, Scott? And we don't have to hear about the number one pick. Exactly. I mean, we'll talk about that as it goes. It's an unfortunate situation, but for us Devils fans, of course. But, of course, we're here to talk everything else. Yankees and the Mets. Baseball is in full swing. So, Scoot, let's talk about our beloved Yankees taking on the Rays uh, last week. We did miss last week against the series against the Red Sox and the two-game series, I believe, against the Nationals. Could be. You know, a tropical storm came through, and uh, Isaiah wreaked its havoc on our uh, podcasting fun. Yeah, not great. But we're back in action, at least for now, until another storm comes, and then then we're kind of SOL at that point. But the Yankees took on the Rays, the hated Tampa Bay Rays, for three games. I hate that place. Uh, I I gotta be honest. Drop freaking sucks. It is awful. Knock it down. Move them to Montreal. Get out of Tampa Bay, please. Goodbye. Mm. Please. (laughs) It's not even in Tampa Bay. It's in freaking like St. Petersburg. No, no. It's a terrible place. Get rid of the catwalks. Get rid of the speaker that I think it was Clint Frazier broke a couple years ago. Something like that. I hate that place. I hate uh, that place. It's horrible. It is, I despise it's a dump. that place. It's an absolute dump. 
But it's a dump. Yeah, it is. But after the Yankees swept those hated Boston Red Sox, and then they lost two or three to the Phillies, not the Nationals. My bad. Wrong National League East team. But game one was a one nothing loss, and to say the least, zero hitting. Could not hit the ball whatsoever. The only hits that they got were DJ and Mike Talkman. Only ones that got hits that night. The pitching was awesome. Tanaka went five innings and five innings, one hit, five strikeouts, gave up no runs. He was fantastic. Pitched an absolute gem. But he's still being limited because he's still getting eased into the process. He only pitched 59 pitches that night, but he's still Boone is still easing him in pretty nicely. And then our boy, well, it seems that everybody that I hate on this Yankee season actually does somewhat well. Luis Sessa comes in and pitches two shutout innings. Of course he does, coming back from COVID-19, naturally, right? And then Ottavino comes in in the eighth. They run into some trouble here. He walks two batters. Kiermaier advances to third on a wild pitch, would be the story of the Yankees series in Tampa because of Gary Sanchez's spectacular play behind the plate. Not so much at all. But then, you know, Perez would hit a sack fly to, you know, bring home the run and the Yankees would lose. They couldn't answer after that. Just a brutal one nothing loss when really neither team could hit. It's just that when Ottavino came in in the eighth, you know, Tampa was just the better team at that point. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, but then we move to game number two. The Yankees got the win, 8-4. to four. This was game one of the doubleheader because they had to reschedule. Was this a previous rescheduling thing? Or, I don't, I, to be honest with you, I, I really don't, don't remember anymore. It's so screwed up, I can't even follow it. Yeah, I don't even remember anymore. But game two, the offense finally came alive. They got out to a tremendous 5 nothing lead, including a three-run fourth inning. Mike Ford hits the two-run home run, who's getting a lot more time now. Split, I'd say they're even splitting time between him and Luke Voigt. Um, got that off Tyler Glass now. And then uh, my boy, Gio Urshela, two-run double. He has been destroying it on both sides of the diamond, at the plate and in the field. He's just been fantastic. And then Stanton, of course, my number on Giancarlo Stanton's number one fan. Everybody knows that. <laughs> and he hits the solo home run in the fifth to make it a 5 nothing lead. And then, you know, this was Garrett Cole's night. So, of course, as Yankee fans, we expect, oh, Garrett's going to be great. He's going to be fine. Not so much. He did have 10 strikeouts, pitched 107 pitches, but he pitched four and two-thirds and gave up six hits and three runs. By Garrett Cole's standards, kind of an off game for him. Gave up the two, gave up the double and the two-run home run in the fifth to make it a two-run lead for the Yankees. And then... The story was, though, you know, Garrett Cole wasn't great, but the offense bailed him out because Judgey hits the two-run home run in the sixth, and then Gio hits the sack fly in the seventh, and the Yankees come away with the win. Um, you know, Chad Green and Adam Montevino do their thing, and they protect it, even though Green gives up the ground-out RBI. But Adovino closes it out, the Yankees win. A much-needed first win in the doubleheader. Um, uh, what are your thoughts about Cole's performance and what it might do for him next start, Scott? I mean, I think this is a guy that has enough skill where he's not going to allow himself to get into a rut. I mean, we saw this was his first non no decision in a while, like, or maybe it was the start before. Whenever it was his first, like, he failed to win his twenty sixth consecutive like decision or something like that. He doesn't get a lot of no decisions a lot of times. Mm-hmm. You know, his pitch count was very high which is not normal of him. Usually he can give you six, seven innings. Um, but I don't think he's a guy that will allow his previous uh, poor performances to carry over. Um, I, I think we 
you know, come to expect the best from this guy. That's why we paid him over 300 plus million in this contract. That's for sure. He's the ace of this staff. He's, you know, proven that he can be the ace of this staff just in three pitches. I mean, or three starts or four starts, however many starts he has. But you see how much confidence Aaron Boone has in him. He has any opportunity that he has to put him out there. It feels like he's pitched like 10 times already this yeah, season just because of all the cancellations and everything. But that's allowed Aaron Boone to pitch him in more of the Yankees games. Mm-hmm. Like there was that one when they had to cancel the Philly series. He pitched like in two of like the Yankees three games between that stretch. But he's going to get a lot of starts this season. You know, yes, the Yankees, you know, might be carrying this COVID situation responsibly, but. They can't help if teams are, you know, and it wasn't the Phillies' fault that the Marlins got it. It was just an unfortunate event. But, you know, who knows? Garrett Cole might pitch more games than, you know, the 12 starts that people thought he was going to be able to get this season just because of the schedule and the wackiness of it all. And may pitch more innings than originally we thought. Yeah. I mean, this is, I think this is like the second consecutive start that he's made, uh, that he's pitched 100, over 100 pitches, I believe. I mean, Aaron Boone showed, I mean, that Nationals game, if it wasn't for the rain delay, he would have probably pitched 100 plus pitches. Right. This guy stayed in shape over the, the lockdown quarantine. Mm. You saw him thrown with his wife. His wife was catching for him. Yeah, yeah I don't, sure you know, I wouldn't expect anything less from a guy that, you know, gets no, pissed not. when he throws, when he, you know, when he misses on one pitch or, yeah. you know, gives up one run in a, you know, in a couple innings. But, you know, not to be worried, I mean, worry's the least, I mean, Cole's the least of the Yankees' worries at this point. He's not a worry whatsoever. I mean, that's still a good game from what, you know, what he did. I mean, pitching 107 pitches, that's no, that's a tall task for there, for anybody. Yeah. But, um, so game three, the second game of the doubleheader, Michael King takes the hill, didn't get off to the greatest of starts, of course. He loads the bases and walks in the run to go down one nothing, and then, Pulled it, and then he was pulled after walking two guys in the fourth. And here's the thing, too: I don't understand Aaron Boone's infatuation with Luis Avilon because then he comes in yeah. and he gives up the two-run single to make it three to one. I don't. Luis Avilon is not a good pitcher. If he couldn't pitch for the Mets in the bullpen, Thank don't you. understand this. Thank you. That's I don't what get I say it all the time. Thank you. I don't understand <laughs> it. Like we like we watched the Mets last year, and we saw this guy pitch for the Mets. He was bl- he was bl- he was a part of a awful bullpen. Why is he in the Yankees bullpen? Why? <laughs> I don't I don't get it. I really don't understand. And then this guy Albert Abreu comes in. I'm sure he's a young kid. I'm sure he's I'm sure he's okay. Comes in in the fifth. He gives up the single. He you know hits a batter. Gives up a walk and then a two run double makes it five five to one. So then we're kind of screwed, right? But then the offense comes in. They kind of make it interesting. Voit ties the game at one with an RBI single. And then the Yankees put guys on in the seventh. DJ hits the two-run double to get them within two runs. And then after that, they just couldn't muster anything more. Judge flied out with two outs in the seventh inning because these doubleheader games are now both seven innings, which, you know, in that case, maybe if the Yankees get to it eighth or ninth inning, maybe they have another chance to win the game, but neither here nor there. Judge flies out with the two outs. That's the ball game. The Yankees lose 5-3. to three. Um, what are your that early... ball was very close to going out too. Absolutely. So the, the race catcher thought that Judge caught the, like caught it and was going to be a home run, but then he said that he heard Judge like scream in frustration or yell in frustration, and then you know he was a little more settled that the ball wasn't going out. But that ball was very close to mm-hmm. going out, just like Luke Voigt the other night against the Phillies. So what so are your early? That... So now that the Yankees have experienced the seven inning doubleheaders, what are your thoughts so far? Around the league in general, um, I don't really mind it. 
I mean, I'm for anything to get baseball played this year. Absolutely. I think we all are at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to see it stay just because also you're not going to get that many double headers normally in a, in a season. In a normal that season. sounds something that I don't want to be a part of. <laughs> <laughs> Scott wants no but, part of the double headers long, long term. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with the seven inning double headers, the nine right. inning double headers, you know, you don't get them very often. And it's kind of cool. You know, you play at one o'clock or four o'clock, then mm-hmm. you come back and play at seven. Right. But when you have a season that lasts 162 games and however many off days they have built in there, but you should have days where you can find a, a spot to put in, you know, an extra game here, mm-hmm. here and there. But now, you know, you're going to play a lot of double headers because these games are so, you know, coming thick and fast. I think the seven inning double headers are necessary to get this season played just okay. because you're not going to burn it. You're going to burn out guys less be, by doing it. Mm-hmm. So then we get to game number four, the fourth and final game of the four game set between the Yankees and the Rays. They lose this one, four to three. And, you know, the offense started getting a little early. Charlie Morton loaded the bases early on. He hits Mike Ford to push across a run. The Yankees also get two runs in the fifth off of fielding errors. They go up 3 nothing. But the story in this one was 0-for-8 with runners in scoring position. Turning into the Mets. Yeah, unfortunately. And I think I, I, think I heard on WFAN this morning that the Mets, and we'll, believe me, we'll get into the Mets in a little bit, but that they have left 100-something-plus guys on base this year already. <laughs> Oh, man. Like, does that surprise anybody? Through... Not really, but when you put the number, when you say the number, and however many, 20 games they played? 18. That's, a, that's insane. That's that hard. That is abysmal. But that's horrible. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But then, you know, in this game four, we're thinking Charlie Morton against James Paxton. We're like, uh, what, are we, what are Yankee fans really expecting from James Paxton right now? He goes out there and is fantastic. Six and a third, four hits, three runs, eleven strikeouts on eighty-seven pitches. He was. He great. didn't give up his runs until the sixth or the seventh inning. Yeah, exactly. His last inning, he gave up the three runs. Yeah, the two, two, the, two home runs. Yeah, the two the yeah the two run home run, and then the solo home run. Uh, you know, all three runs came off home runs. But yeah. then you know he was great. The velocity was still down. I think that's going to be a common thing going forward for for James Paxton. But well, he did say he did say that his surgery has been a. A contributor to that. I mean, His off season or off season or, I guess, current season, whenever it happened in spring training, back surgery. I mean, that's what uh, that's what I was kind of that's what I was kind of expecting. But again, we weren't seeing the the you know the swing and miss rates that you know he was accustomed to last year. But that does play a part because of the injury. Um, his pitches were pretty flat, especially in that first Nationals start. Mm-hmm. But like I said, he goes six scoreless innings and then comes out in the seventh, gives up the the two home runs to. You know, give the Rays a th- give three runs to the Rays. You know, Jonathan Holder comes in, does his job, and then Britton comes in in the ninth. Um, Derek Lowe would ground out into a fielder's choice, and then again, wild pitch would advance. Uh, you know, advance on bases, and then Perez hits the game-winning RBI single. Game over. Yankees lose three of four to the Rays. Um, not really encouraging, but things you could take out of this is James Paxton definitely. Out of that mm-hmm. game, at least. James Paxton, you know, maybe getting back somewhat to the pitcher he was last year before he got hurt. Uh, again, we'd like to see the velocity get up a little bit more, but I don't know if that's realistic at this point in his career. He is a 30-something. we got to remember that, too. He's been in the league for a long time. But right now, as the Yankees stand, not counting the win last night against the Braves, they're 10-6. and six. Judge and DJ still hot. DJ LeMahieu still leading the Yankees in average, batting 400. 
Judge just hit his ninth home run of the season last year. But then this happens. Giancarlo Stanton hits the injured list with a left hamstring. Now, I'm not one to I'm I can't kill Giancarlo Stanton. It's an injury, it happens. He was playing bad for him. He was playing phenomenal. He was great. But so the thing is with the Yankees with Stanton is that they're gonna have to play around it with the DH position, whether it's Voigt, uh Mike Ford, Miguel Andujar, who they just called, you know, who just got called down to an alternate site, or your boy Clint Frazier, who just got called up. Thank you. We actually have to play him, but at least he's with the big team. Exactly. He's in the big leagues, and he's not down in alternate site prison. <laughs> he has been released. He's been for now, at least. Site. For now, but at least. Giancarlo. For now, at least. Um, yeah. yeah, Giancarlo. I mean, he was playing so well. Got to give it to him there. He was hitting two sixty nine. Oh, no, that's the career stats. I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong thing. Um, I was going to say, I thought it was better than that. No, it is better than that. He was hitting... Oh, I got... Where the heck is it here? Oh, he was hitting 389. Yeah. He was hitting 389 this year. So, oh, I'm sorry. I'm still looking at the wrong thing. I'm all discombobulated right now. 293, close enough. Um, (laughs) But the point is, the Yankees are going to miss him in this lineup. I mean, that that just Uh goes without saying. But... The, the advantage that they have is they have all this depth here. You can play Voight, you can play Ford, you can play Frazier if you really want to because we all know that Clint Frazier's defense is not up to par. So what are your thoughts on this Stanton situation? I feel bad for him because you see how he bought into the offseason program of trying to get leaner, and you know people said that, Maybe his muscle, he like he has too much like muscle mass, so then he's starting to pull muscles more, and he's not as limber. And but you could see that he really bought into the offseason program of trying to get leaner, trying to, and he did. He lost a lot of weight. He looks, mm-hmm. you know, like in very, he's in very good shape. And yeah, yeah, he has a hard, you know, history of injuries, especially with the Yankees. Um, he obviously had some in Florida or Miami as well. But you you can't really do anything but feel bad for the guy because he bought in and he still got hurt. Now you hope that the new Yankees medical team, maybe they'll find a way to get him to heal faster. People are saying three to four weeks or mm-hmm. his grade one hamstring strain. Yep. Um, but you know, at least he can probably keep swinging the bat as you know, at least off a tee. Um, just won't be able to run the bases or you know he wasn't playing the outfield anyway. But um. Hopefully he can just keep swinging and, you know, keeping up with some sort of baseball activity because, like you said, he was hot this season. He started out really well, and he wasn't just hitting home runs. He was putting the ball in play for, you know, a majority of the games that he played in. He was making a big difference on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I said, it hurts bad, and he was playing so good. It's probably one of the better starts he's had to his seasons here when, he, when he's been with the Yankees. But, unfortunately, like you said it before, he is showing that he is – an injury-prone player, and that is not something that Yankee fans want to hear considering that he's, you know, got a huge, huge contract that I've been skeptical of. That goes without saying, but still. But let's get on to some somewhat good news here. My boy Gio Urshela is no fluke, and I want to hear people stop telling me that Gio Urshela is a fluke. I want to stop telling me that. His bat has been picking up. He's hitting three thirteen. 14 for 48 at the plate, three home runs, and 13 RBIs. And his defense speaks for itself. It is spectacular. I think that Gio Urshela ignites this whole Yankee team when he makes a spectacular play at third base. 
It's fantastic. So stop I mean, telling me that he is a fluke. I mean, you can already see that he's, you know, a much better fielder than Miguel Andujar. Mm-hmm. And people were worried about, you know, how are you going to not have Andujar's bat in this lineup? Urshela is kind of replacing what Andujar was doing in that rookie season that he had, that he should have won rookie of the year if it wasn't for Otani. Absolutely. I still, just because Otani pitches and hits doesn't mean he like, deserves rookie of the well, year. Well, that may but. not be the situation now because Otani just had the elbow injury and he might be yeah, going again. to a full-time hitter. Yeah. Um, but or, his glove is unbelievable. Like to find a third baseman with that good of a glove, def- uh, you know, that good defensively and can contribute offensively. Like you see Jackie Bradley Jr. in Boston. Mm-hmm. He hit like 210 last season, but they kept him in the lineup because he was such a good defensive player. Absolutely. Like the fact that Urshela is uh, contributing with the bat and is probably the best fielder on this team. You know, that's a valuable piece that you have to give credit to Brian Cashman for finding and uh, the Yankees organization for, you know, tapping into that uh, potential that he had that he really couldn't find in his previous uh, stays with Cleveland and, you know, some other teams in the in the league. Mm-hmm. So then the news of Miguel Andujar and Nick Nelson being options to the alternate site is this a surprise to you, really, considering Andujar was off to a 1-14 start that he has been optioned? Yeah, I don't think it's surprising because where where is our place for him? Exactly. He's not, it's clear he's not going to play above Gardner mm-hmm. because he's going to, you know, his bat hasn't been great this season, but he's going to be the defensive replacement if, say, you know, you. I mean, Tolkien's a good fielder too, so I don't really see why you have to put a defensive replacement Tolkien's in. Tolkien's a very good defensive left fielder. Yeah, right. He can but, play all three outfield positions. Yeah. Andujar is not going to come in clearly for the defensive replacement because you saw the other night, uh, what was it, against uh, was it against Boston that he had that ball go right past him in the outfield? Um, yes. Ball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Clearly he's not coming in as a defensive replacement, and he started out the season one for 14. Granted, he didn't get consistent at bats, so he really couldn't get into a groove, but there's no place for him. Like, no. bring up Clint Frazier, who's going to be a fantastic def- uh, designated hitter for this team when, you know, the, our main designated hitter is on the IL. He's going to contribute a lot more than Miguel Indu- Andujar is right now. And if you really have aspirations of him being a, a full-time outfielder in the future when maybe Brett Garner retires or, you know, whatever, then the alternate site's the perfect place for him because he can grow and, you know, become a hopefully somewhat decent left fielder there mm-hmm. he's not gonna have the pressure they can teach him they can work him in he can get his at bats there in the simulated games he's, it's gonna do him much better than sitting on the bench here and you know just thinking about his mistakes in left field uh that he's made so well really only one big one because he hasn't played that much but you know that was a very big mistake that you know cost the yankees runs right so now let's talk about my other boy my other guy that i was vouching for two weeks ago when we were last on here I wasn't necessarily saying bench guardy, just maybe play this guy a little more. And boy, has Mike Talkman made me look like an absolute genius. Nine of twenty—I <laughs> mean, nine of twenty-nine. He's been in twelve games, hitting three hundred with three RBIs. Now that doesn't really stick out to you as much, but with Andujar adjusting to left field and now being optioned, and then 
you know, Brett Gardner being older, batting, I don't think he's, I think he's batting, uh, he's batting 262 right now, so it's not really what you want, what you want to see out of Gardy, even though he's on a one-year contract, he's old, it, it is what it is, but the thing about Talkman is that he steals bases, and he's, and I'm confident in him defensively, because he can play all three outfield positions. Now, Hicks isn't doing too well. I mean, you know, he's getting contact on the ball, but Hicks isn't hitting too well. He's hitting about, he's hitting 220 right now. Not really what you want to see. Brett Gardner's actually hitting 184 right now. But Mike Talkman has just been playing out of his mind right now. Not necessarily doing great things with the bat. I mean, it's been picking up a little bit, you know, as of recently, but being consistent defensively and stealing four bases already in 16 games, I love what I'm seeing. I have no problem with him playing every single day now that he's played 12 of 16 games. I love it. Yeah, I mean, every a lot of people were calling out for Mike Talkman to get more at-bats, and I think people coming into the season kind of expected Brett Gardner to not be a starting left fielder. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, he's hitting 184. He does have three home runs on the year so far, five RBIs. Um, for someone who either hits first or ninth or, you know, he's mainly been hitting in the bottom of the lineup this right. year with Aaron Hicks leading off, but you know, he's giving you some sort of pop that, you know, the Yankees clearly are looking for because they're looking for the home run ball most of the time. Mm-hmm. Granted, I don't really love that, but that's what they're, you know, that's they how they be. play. That is how they play baseball. Yeah. That's just a, that's just um, but if Talkman keeps this up, I just don't see how you can not play him I just you know think that Yankee fans are kind of you know they're too quick to dismiss Brett Gardner and you know if he gets hot he's you know exactly what this lineup needs as someone who puts the ball in play granted Mike Talkman also you know no home runs on the year so far is you know the definition of a contact hitter which you know at least we have two guys there for depth and left field that will put the bat on the ball and if you want to add Clint Frazier there Mm-hmm. Um, three left fielders who can, you know, put the ball, put the ball in play. I think Gardner's the worst of the three right now based on his hitting ability. I mean, I think people also kind of forget how good of a left fielder Brett Gardner is. Like he's made yeah. some very, very, very good plays over the years. And granted, yes, he is getting older and some of that speed and athleticism in left field has gone away, but for him to be a backup left fielder, a great veteran, the last guy left from the Oh nine championship team, I'm still very much behind him being able to play on this team, giving him the spot. I mean, he's not going to be sent down. No. But this is a guy who has a lot of value on this team, even if he's not in the lineup every single day. But I do agree right now, Talkman has to play more than Gardner. Mm-hmm. So now let's talk pitching. Outside of Garrett Cole, even though he didn't have the most ideal of Garrett Cole starts, I just feel like that there's so many questions here. It's not all bad. Tanaka in, you know, he's only... Tanaka's looked fantastic. Tanaka's been great. Tanaka was fantastic. He's pitching tonight, I think. Yeah, he is pitching tonight against the Atlanta Braves in game two of the two-game set. Yeah. Um, Tanaka's playing well. He's fantastic. He's got a 1.17 ERA in two starts. He's been he's been lights out so far in limited action. He hasn't. I don't think he's pitched over uh, 60 pitches yet this year. So there's only going to be more that we see out of Masahiro Tanaka. Um, Jordan Montgomery, I mean, after a pretty brutal start, um, his last start, he pitched last night and was pretty good. Um, but my question remains, of course, with the consistency with James Paxton, 
in two starts, four innings, twelve hits, six runs, a thirteen point five ERA. I'm sure you know. I'm sure that went down. Um, yeah, he's got a now a seven point eight four ERA. He's been you know besides that last start against uh, against Tampa the other night. You still don't know what to expect from Paxton. We talked about him before. You know, just the consistency. See if he can get that velocity a little up. I'm not going to really count on that. But then we have the great Jay Happ. Seven innings, seven hits, eight runs total, and two starts at 10.29 ERA. Not ideal. Well, he got scratched last night too. No. I don't. I don't know why. I didn't see why. Maybe it's just because he sucks. But yeah, well, he's. I give him no reason that why he should be pitching. Why he should have pitched last night, but. The thing is, too, I mean, Michael King did his, I mean, he did all right that game against Tampa. He did okay. But I would like to see more of Michael King or maybe even a call-up from a Davey Garcia or a Clark Schmidt that all Yankee fans really want to see, um, you know, if the Jay Happ and James Paxton struggles really continue. Um, what are you a fan of? Are you a fan of seeing Clark Schmidt, Davey Garcia, you know, seeing more of Michael King? What are, you, what are your thoughts? I mean, Clark Schmidt looked fantastic in, uh, in the summer camp. Mm-hmm. If you want to put it that way, yep. uh, he was facing our number one lineup, and his curveball that night was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I think Clark Schmidt deserves a chance. Michael King, you know, he's pitched out of the bullpen a couple times, but I think the main guy that we all want to see is uh, um, is Clark Schmidt right now. I don't think Davy Garcia is necessarily. Completely ready. Yeah, I don't think he's ready yet either. He's a top prospect, but I don't want to rush him into anything, especially in you know the year we're having. For sure. So then we move our attention to the bullpen. Of course, the big news earlier last week was that Tommy Canley needed Tommy John surgery. He's done for the year. The Yankees will sorely miss him. Um, Chapman should be coming back soon. I don't, have you heard anything about Chapman coming back within like the next week or so? He pitched a simulated game, or he pitched in a game last night at the alternate site, I believe. Mm. So I don't know. I think he's, you know, nearing a return. Uh, he's getting a lot closer, but not necessarily ready uh, yet. But I did see something last. Uh, Nick Tra- Tropiano, I think was his name, got picked up off waivers from the Pirates, which freed up a 40-man roster spot. And, you know, people were calling out for Clark Schmidt to get added to the 40-man roster because now, now there's a spot. So, But closing on our Yankees thing, I just – Got this update on my phone. Oh, Just wanted to, to hold on. Let me. I've not looked at the phone yet. Find the exact quote. Aaron Judge is not in the lineup tonight. Aaron Boone said this is a, uh, from Brian Hoke on Twitter. Aaron Boone said that Aaron Judge is getting treatment and is dealing with lower body tightness. He wanted to play, but Boone decided to not put him in the lineup. Asked to elaborate on lower body tightness, Boone mentioned hips, hamstring, and calves. So this is the day after Boone said, everything's okay with Judge. I just decided to take him out pretty much last night. Yeah. And then uh, asked if he expects Aaron Judge to play Friday versus Boston. Aaron Boone said, I hope so, but that's a long way from now. (sighs) So in right field is Red Thunder himself, (laughs) Clint Frazier. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting your wish. (laughs) I mean, I don't want Aaron Judge hurt, but uh, at least uh, Clint Frazier is going to be able to show off what he can do on the plate. I'm still a little nervous about him uh, playing right field, but... I mean, he played right field some last year when Judge was hurt. Yeah, and he wasn't very good at it. Yeah, exactly. But, 
I, you're, I bet you're, I'm excited for Clint Frazier, too. I want to see what he can do. You know, the bat speed we've talked about for at least two years now is fantastic. Just Luke Voigt is hitting second tonight. Really? Is the lineup out? Yes. What is the lineup? LeMahieu. Of course. DJ LeMachine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke Voigt. Aaron Hicks is batting third. Uh, Urshel is batting fourth. Good. Glaver fifth. Mike mm-hmm. Ford is DHing, batting sixth. Gary Sanchez, Clint Frazier, Brett Gardner with Masahiro Tanaka on the hill. So I guess since you mentioned him, um, let's talk about your boy Gary Sanchez. He sucks. Oh, he is, you know, he is... Uh, good at the plate, Olay behind the plate. That's what he is. <laughs> well, he's not really good at the plate right now, no, either. he's not. He's really not. 24 strikeouts on... He's hitting 093. Oh, on a, boy, Gary. On a whopping four for 43. What's oh. going on? What is, I don't. It seems like when Gary is up at the plate, it's just. He just looks lazy. He wait, just wait. Looks, you're playing something from your computer, I think. I am. Oh, nope. That is my fault. I am on ESPN, and that was. That's why I made the old switcheroo from ESPN to Yahoo Sports. ESPN just did me dirty. See, ESPN, the ESPN website, when we're trying to get stats up, it's very it's very hard because they play those ads. It's awful. It's terrible. Oh. <laughs> Mike Greenberg on Gary Sanchez. A disgrace if he plays tonight. <laughs> Goodbye. Mm. <laughs> Kyle Higashioka, the home run stroker. Oh, that would be fantastic. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Uh, where's Romy, my homie, when we need him? Exactly. Exactly. But... <sighs> It, like I was saying, I just think Gary just looks lazy at the plate. He's not really looking at pitches to hit. I just, he seems like he's got no motivation. Is that just me or like? He always just looks like he has no motivation. I just don't. Uh, he's very nonchalant. Yeah. Uh, and and the other thing is, too, Glaber Torres. In a whopping 151, and he's a whopping 8 for 53. Yeah, that's not great. I'm not pulling the plug on Glaber. No, you cannot. But Gary Sanchez, I think, is a different story. I've been hearing Yankee fans all over the radio saying, let's get rid of Gary and let's sign JT Real Muto. Uh, that's a dream scenario. That's not going to happen, though. No. Because I don't think the Yankees, gonna give up on, the Yankees aren't going to give up on Gary that easily. And probably the Phillies are going to re-sign Real Muto. That just... I mean, let's be honest. If Gary hits 150 through 60 games, uh, you have to really think hard about you know, what do we do with this guy? Mm-hmm. It's, it's all right. Let's not compare, you know, two sports here, but it's kind of like a Sam Darnold situation. If Sam Darnold regresses this year and has a bad year, it's the same thing. If Gary hits 150 and it, Sam Darnold throws 20 interceptions and 15 touchdowns, there's going to have to be some very hard thinking about what are we going to do? See, that, I think that's a little bit of a different situation only because we like Aaron Boone. We trust Aaron Boone. We don't trust Adam Gase enough to, you know, that we think Sam should be out of here. Yeah, but I trust Joe Douglas. Yes, but also, yeah. So, but also, if 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 Sam Darnold has a bad year, Adam Gase is out the door. Hmm. Goodbye. We'll talk about the Jets later and the moves that they made. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess you're. I guess you kind of make a point there where we don't really know what to do with Gary because this is such a talented lineup, and Gary is better than 093. He's so much better than 093. Yeah, but I just I just don't know what he's it, what he's looking at right now. It just seems like he can never put it all together. It's either he's, you know, good at the plate and bad behind it, or he's not too bad behind it and not good at it, not good at the plate. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. No. But uh, hopefully the Yankees get a little bit of a jolt from Clint Frazier being in the lineup, maybe. I mean, we'll see. The bat has I mean, been... He, he's very motivated, uh, as you can see. Like, he, it, it's honestly a crime that the Yankees have kept this guy in the alternate site for so long. He's too good of a hitter to keep down there. Absolutely. Um, since you're a big Luke Voigt guy, before we talk about... The, he is fantastic. The uh, Before we talk about the amazing Mets, so amazing Mets, um... <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Luke Voigt has played great, but I think it's the thing is, I think him and Ford are going to continue to split time. Do you think that's really the yeah. right thing to do? Like Ford's good, it's but Voigt has been playing really good. I mean, I think I'm all for giving guys consistent at bats, and but Mike Ford hasn't been too bad um, as of late. I mean, he is I would consider him more being in that DH role rather than yeah. splitting time with Void at first. I mean, I think both will get very consistent at bats now because Giancarlo is out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think right now splitting time isn't the worst thing. Just so you keep guys fresh for right. you know heading into the postseason. I mean, if you think about it, we just started the season. We're only forty games away from the postseason beginning. Unbelievable, but. I think once you get within that last 20 games, 15, 10 games, you're going to see Aaron Boone play someone consistently because you need to get them hot for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Luke Voigt, you mentioned Gio Urshela proving the haters wrong. Luke Voigt just continues to impress and show that, you know, his first two seasons weren't a fluke or a year and a half with the Yankees weren't a fluke. Yeah, This dude can hit. And, you know, he just keeps proving that, Maybe he isn't the great greatest defender at first base, but neither is Mike Ford. No, but Luke Voigt can hit the ball. Listen, and, listen, Gio Urshela and DJ LeMahieu can't play all the infield positions. Yeah, and and you know it, it's good to have in a lineup some of these guys that you know need to prove people wrong because then they're more motivated. And you know Luke Voigt, we traded Chase and Shreve for Luke Voigt. That is a, the steal of the century. Chase and Shreve is now. Uh, Pitching for the old Metsies. And he's actually okay. Yeah, but he's not bad. But the fact, we hated Chase and Shreve when he was around. He was horrible. And then we got Luke Voigt, who's contributing every day to this, you know, stacked lineup. And the Yankee, and Cashman got him from the car. All hail Brian Cashman. Exactly, exactly. People people want to hate on Brian Cashman. Are you stupid? I don't get it. Are you stupid? Our buddy Louis Two Steps is that way. What? I don't Why? know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But the, Louis Tuesday was also a guy that when Giancarlo strikes out once, he's like, all right, get him out of the lineup. Well, see, you're <laughs> kind of the same way. With Giancarlo. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not with everybody, but he's with everybody. Oh, I just okay. use Giancarlo as an example because that's, uh, oh, that's what well, happens. Well, that was a bad example. So, I'm sorry. All that. right. So when Aaron Hicks strikes out or when Aaron Hicks doesn't make a play. In or Saturday, Gary Sanchez. Oh, he hate if there's anybody on this team, Louis our buddy Louis Two Steps hates Gary Sanchez. He calls him Fatty Sanchez. <laughs> oh my god. It's oh, like, dear. oh, it's terrible. But before we move on to the Mets, listen, it's hard to complain when you have the best team in baseball. I kind of feel bad that we're kinda of complaining because I mean we're not Mets fans. I mean, they're not the best team in baseball anymore. Well, they're certainly up there. Well, yes. But record wise. Right. But it's very hard to complain when the Yankees are such a talented and deep team. But they're, you know, all great teams have their speed bumps. It just happens to be right now, 
their bullpen kind of sucked last night against the Braves. And, you know, the start of the back half of the rotation is a question going forward. Uh, now that Judge is, you know, Stanton is hurt, Judge is with his lower back thing, the Sanchez and Torres struggles. I mean, there are holes. I wouldn't say holes. There are little inconsistencies with the Yankees right now. But they're still trugging along, and that's fine. I'm very happy with what they've done. But, you know, they're still going to have those things. All teams do in a course of a 162-game season, let alone a 60-game season. All right, so are you ready to talk about the fantastic 7-11 and New York Mets? They suck. Oh, my God. I don't. I. Can we just talk about, because we didn't talk about this, Yoannis? <laughs> oh, yeah, he was really concerned about COVID. You know, he backs out and then five days later goes to a salsa club. And, uh, you know, he was really concerned about Corona. The only reason he opted out was because he sucks and wanted to try and maintain somewhat of a chance of getting a contract next year. Listen, I don't normally rip guys for opting out, but you can't opt out for COVID reasons and go into a salsa club and party up like nothing ever happened. Right. Uh, <laughs> End of my TED talk. <laughs> but, it, you know, it also plays into a factor that he was hitting 161 with 15 strikeouts. Oh, horrible. 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 It was terrible. And then, but Maybe like, Gary should opt out now. Oh, man. What's, <laughs> a, what's our other option there? <laughs> Eric Kress. Eric Kress. Well, Chris, I, it was Chris Iannetta two weeks ago, but then he got option to the alternate side. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Kress, 40 year old minor leaguer. Oh, man. <laughs> But the the thing with Yoannis, you know, that came out during the game. I was watching the Mets game on my computer, and I was like, "Are you kidding? Like, what just happened? What? Yoannis? Like, they can't find him? Like, and the, <laughs> like, 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 where have you gone? <laughs> like, where have you gone? Yoannis says, but is like, like, and then Brody Brody makes the statement, and they're like, "Well, they make it worse. Like, do you know if the guy is dead?" Or like, like what's going on? <laughs> and then this comes out. Anthony DeComo of, ML, of MLB.com, who writes for the Mets, this came out. I think um, the day after, Brandon Nemo says he and his Mets teammates heard that Yoannis <laughs> Cespedes' agent actually informed the Mets he was opting out before Sunday's game. He's also heard that Mets the, the Mets official story that the team was blindsided during the game. Nimmo said he doesn't know which is true. What? That's good. What? I have no words for that. Like That's good. Where is the communication between your player and this organization, especially when the Mets are paying Yoannis Cespedes all that money? Now he's not getting any of it. And do you buy the storyline that it had to do with incentives? Who the heck knows? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. But, like, this... Like, I don't know what... Like, I'm like Brennan Nimmo. I don't know what to believe. <laughs> but, like, all you can do is laugh. But if you're a Mets fan, <laughs> yeah. I guess you could cry. But, like, like you said, I'm all for him opting out for safety reasons, but it doesn't help that he was hitting 161 and struck out 15 times and sucking wind. <laughs> but this, honestly, to me, blessing in disguise. Because that means more time, pl- more playing time for my guy Dom Smith and Andres Jimenez, who has taken over the baseball world. Yeah, I buy a Med Rosario. Exactly. Um, his Mets career is likely over. See you later. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. 
But the thing was, too, Mets fans everywhere, so giddy. When Cespedes hit the home run in the summer game, oh, my God, he's going to hit 60 home runs in 60 games. He played, what, eight games? (laughs) Maybe, (laughs) if that. But Cespedes, I think, ultimately just cared about getting paid. It was a contract year. I wouldn't dismiss the whole incentives thing, and he was pissed that Luis Rojas wasn't playing him enough, even though I think Rojas was playing him too much. But I think Cespedes just cared about the money. I think the Mets overall better without him. They don't need him. But now we talk about them as a whole right now. 7-11 overall after these two out of four losses so far to, who are they playing right now? I forgot. Um, the Nationals. The Nationals, yeah, that's right. But, you know, they hit the injury bug a little bit. Cano hits the 10-day IL with a left groin injury. He should be back, I think, soon. Um, he was optimistic about coming back after 10 days. Cano was raking, too. 4-12, 14 for 34, 7 RBIs, and a home run. McNeil hit the injured list. He didn't hit the injured list, but he was injured with a back injury. He avoided the IL. He's back to healthy and still hitting almost 400 right now, which is great. Andres Jimenez, wow, is he spectacular. The bat is good. It's not great. It's good. 11 for 33, 330, he's hitting 333 with run RBI in 15 games. Stolen three bases. The guy is fast. What I've seen, yeah. he is like lightning. He will do anything to get on base. Him laying down those bunts and weaving out of the way of the first baseman, that makes me excited if I'm a Mets fan. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think right now his defense is the strong suit of his game. And, he, he again, a guy that can play three infield positions, second, third, and shortstop. You said before, bye-bye, Ahmed Rosario. I completely agree. Ahmed Rosario's defense is like a preschooler compared to Andres Jimenez. He, he just, he's like, I wouldn't say he's Gio Urshela-like, but he's pretty good. Yeah. They might have something in this guy. Yeah, but then the question remains, okay, what do you do with Ahmed Rosario? His bat's not bad, so they experimented with him last year in the outfield. You think that's a good idea? I mean, people did say he could play center field just because of his speed, but mm-hmm. do you want to play him there over a Nimmo, over a J.D. Davis right now that's one of their best hitters, over a Conforto who's one of their best hitters? J.D. Davis is really thriving in the DH role, and he's been playing good at third base in the past couple of games. Yeah. I mean, their their outfield has been Nimmo, um, Conforto, uh, Dom Smith even getting some chances in left field. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd personally rather play other people than Ahmed Rosario in uh, the outfield. I mean, maybe his speed, you know, will be a factor there in, in center field. But if you're fully healthy, I don't think you put Ahmed Rosario as a first choice outfielder over, you know, I think Dom Smith and J.D. Davis have a better bat than uh, Ahmed Rosario, at least right now. Yeah. Um, maybe we should, uh, Luis Guillorme should play, maybe get moved to the bullpen. Who would have thought, right? <laughs> who would have thought? Um, and, of course, we can't talk about the Mets without talking about Pete Alonso. Yeah, is it time to hit the panic button? Yes. But I mean, what else are you gonna? But if you're if you're the Mets, what else are you gonna do? Like the guy's hitting 197. He's 13 for 66. He's had two home runs, seven RBIs. 
Pete just looks like I wouldn't compare it to a Gary Sanchez situation whatsoever. But Pete's just trying to do way too much, I think, still to this point. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't look comfortable. And I saw this weeks ago on SNY. They noticed that he changed his swing up. My first thing is, you got the guy hit 53 home runs last year. Why are you changing his swing? Yeah, I don't know. I I have no idea. But... Like I said, he's still swinging for the fences. He needs to stop trying to do everything. The Mets have a talented roster. McNeil, Conforto is getting going a little bit. He's hitting 300 now, not striking out as much. Cano is doing well. Dom Smith can hit for average. I mean, there's talent here. Pete doesn't have to do everything by himself. Are you like how concerned are you? I mean, you have to be a little bit concerned. I mean, the Mets are 19 games into this season. I don't. I don't even know if Alonso had this bad of a stretch last year. No, in, I, at least in, from, I don't, from what I remember. From what I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, you just have to wonder what a new coaching staff has meant for him because you say he changed his swing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Luis Rojas was around this team last year as the quality control coach. Um, he's been in the organization for a while. I'm pretty sure he coached Pete at one point in the minor leagues because he was around in their minor league system as a head coach, as a manager. You just have to wonder, like, what's going on? Mm. I mean, you last night, he's not even in the lineup. I want to like, know, does your grandma have anything to say about good old Pete Alonso? <laughs> uh, I don't think so, but she hates Stephen Matz. Oh, oh, well, I mean, I can't oh. blame her there. I when cannot. when Matz pitches, oh, she is. Ajda. Listen. She hates Steven Matz. We, oh, he was uh, eight runs pretty, last night in four innings. I'm pretty sure he's given up more home runs over the past couple seasons than Jacob DeGrom has given up in runs. Um, I, I saw somewhere. He, he, pitched, is he, pitched, he pitched four and a third, eight hits on eight, eight runs on eight hits. Last I mean, night. it feels like it was only like yesterday that we saw him hitting a home run in his debut. Exactly. And his grandfather crying in the box, and it was this big day for Steven Matz, so he's going to be the next big thing. Like, this Mets rotation is going to be sick for years with DeGrom and Syndergaard and Matz. Noah's hurt. Hasn't looked the greatest in the past couple seasons. Matz looks atrocious. Stroman's opted out. Yeah, well, who knows about that? I mean, I don't think you'll see him going dancing in a salsa club like Julio Ennis over here, but uh, listen... You can't blame anyone for opting out if they feel, you know, unsafe right. until you, you know, see some, you know, unexcusable thing like Ioannis did. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I'll tell you a positive in this Mets rotation right now is David Peterson. Yeah, I was I was going to bring him up. Yeah. I mean, uh, the game against Miami on the 8th and the 8-4 to win, he goes five innings, gives up four hits and two runs and three and strikes out three. He's right now he's at a... 3.780 ERA in two and one and three starts, 14 strikeouts. He's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, yeah. he's been the one positive besides Jake in this Mets rotation right now. Walker's hurt. Porcello looks exactly like I thought he would to a, what, 5.680 ERA. But, all right, let's be honest to Rick Porcello. His last two starts have been very good. Yeah, they have. But I'm saying. You couldn't have had high expectations for Rick Porcello coming into this year. 
So, I mean, about... I don't know. It was one of his odd years. He always uh, has a Cy Young year and then a down year and then a Cy Young year and then a down year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the 2-1 loss to Washington last night, he go, you know, he goes six innings, gives up eight hits, two Not runs. his fault. I mean, he was good. Yeah, he was good. He gives up two runs or the two runs in the second inning. And after that, he was very good. Mm-hmm. It's just this inept offense at the moment. They couldn't get anything across. And then the start before he goes seven innings, gives up five hits and a run. I mean, yeah, the last two starts, he's been very good. Yeah. But again, you can't expect that all the time from a guy like Porcello, who's a early 30s, but has shown that, he, you know, after that Cy Young season, he's not very consistent. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the Mets bullpen and how better they've been. Strange. Yeah. Edwin Diaz has looked good. I think his ERA is down to about a two. He is thriving in his eighth inning role here, which is astonishing. Is it? I don't know if they're really giving him the label of the eighth inning guy or seventh inning guy, whatever, but he's got a 2.45 ERA right now. Yeah. And, you know, it might take some of the, you know, nerves or some of the edge off not knowing that he's the guy mm-hmm. because he. He's kind of, you know, just accepting his role if he's going to come in and pitch whenever. I'm pretty sure Rojas put him in, like, the sixth inning the other night. Yeah. The sixth or the seventh inning. I mean, Rojas won't admit it yet, but Lugo's this this team's closer. Has to be. Seth Lugo is the closer of this baseball team, whether Luis Rojas wants to admit it or not. Mm-hmm. He's been asked multiple times, is Seth Lugo your closer? And he doesn't want to admit it. But let's just be honest. Delon Batances, Edwin Diaz aren't your closer. Jerez Familia is definitely not your closer. Nope. It is Seth Lugo. We cannot dismiss Drew Smith either. Yeah. 1.08 ERA through six games. He's been great, too. And that Colome guy, too, has been good. Um, Francis Colome, the guy, they got they got him in a trade. Yeah, I think they uh, recently called him down, though. Oh, did they? they? they uh, he, he, yeah. pitched a, he pitched a lot one game. I think it was one of the Marlins games, maybe. He pitched, like, three or four innings. Because yeah, yeah, down. he pitched four innings. He gave up two runs. Yeah, he, he didn't look bad. No, he was fine. And he could be an option to start because, mm. you know. Well, speaking, well, speaking of option to start, the guy who's starting tonight's game is Robert Gesellman. Yeah. Who's only played. I've seen that in a long Who's time. only pitched one inning. Now, I didn't know this because we didn't really start following the Mets in depth, and you know, until really last year. But he was a former starter at one point. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I think his pitch limit is about going to be like 40 pitches, I think Rojas said on Joe and Evan on FAN today. So that the point? you could expect um, you could expect probably three four innings from Gazelman tonight. If you're lucky, you might get two. Yeah, you might. I don't know, but the big I thing mean, is, I, they don't have the bullpen to do a bullpen game like no, the they Yankees can't. can. They cannot. They they can't. You know, maybe Gazelman. I don't. He's nowhere near as good as Chad Green. No, but maybe he gives you an extended effort. Maybe you know. I, I don't know. I don't see that working out in their favor. No, but I understand you have to work guys in, but. 40 pitch limit like I mean he is coming off the injury I mean he's only played one game so far one inning so I guess I mean you have yeah. to kind of ease him in somehow but the big thing about the Mets bullpen is that they're not blowing games recently and yeah, that's that is true. very good you know guys like Patanzas and Wilson you know and Kesselman coming back was a positive you know they've been good Familia's been Familia he's been not great. Jury's familiar. I don't see him having a future on this team next year. I don't even know why he's on the team this year. But I think the Mets bullpen right now, I mean, they're they're good right now. But, I mean, let's hold off on that for a little while. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, team, uh, 
let's go over to pitching here. I'm just gonna after last last podcast, you know, oh, going yeah. through all the Mets uh, ERAs. Mm-hmm. Um, why is this not working? Um, ERA. They have a team ERA of five point oh nine. And two weeks ago it was seven point oh nine, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was just their bullpen. Yeah. I don't know what their bullpen ERA is right now, but you like Jacob Degrom two point four five ERA. That's pretty high for him. I mean, that's a very good ERA in today and today's day and age of baseball but True. for jacob Degrom, you expect it to be you know right around the the two area yeah. um granted he's only pitched 22 innings so far so that can you know fluctuate quite a bit um rick porcello 5.68 but his past two starts like we've said has been very good mm-hmm. um steven matt's 8.2 era he sucks <laughs> uh given up eight home runs most of any on this team next most is three with Corey oswalt and Michael Waka, who's on the IL now. Um, David Peterson, 3.78 ERA, has been good, like we said. Um, Edwin Diaz has one of the best ERA. Paul Seawald has a 13.5 ERA. That's good. Love that. (laughs) Jared Jared Hughes, five and two-thirds innings pitch, zero zero ERA. So, Luis Guillorme. Nice. Nice. One inning pitch, zero ERA. I love that. That's hilarious Love seeing him <laughs> shortstop on the pitching list. Oh dear. Oh man. They need to figure it out though. Nineteen games in, there are seven and eleven. Yeah. I mean, Baseball Reference. I saw some. I think it was Evan Roberts tweeted out yesterday that Baseball Reference still projects the uh, Mets to be in the uh, in the playoffs. But you, you got to start panicking if you're the Mets. Seven and eleven. Tonight's going to be your twentieth game, and your best player is. Your best position player isn't uh, performing as expected. And their best, are... their best position player right now is a rookie. Is a yeah. kid. I mean, McNeil's giving you what you kind of expected. Yeah. Um, not necessarily the he, RBI numbers you would want to see from Jeff McNeil, but he's hitting for average like he normally. I mean, does. you you can't blame him. He's getting on base. His teammates just you know. Exactly. Uh, I mean, Brandon Nimmo is giving you what you expect an on-base percentage with a four two four twenty seven on-base percentage. But it's just weird. Davis. It's weird to see though that JD Davis is leading the Mets in RBIs and and really an yeah. average right now, considering Robinson Cano's on the IL. Well, yeah, that's something we didn't bring up. What happens to Andres Jimenez when Robbie Cano comes back? Do they sit Ahmed Rosario and play Jimenez at shortstop? You have and to. You have Robbie to. at a. At second base, or what do to. they do? Rosario's hitting two oh seven right now, and he's he's the worst defender in the infield. He is. Mm-hmm. You cannot and you cannot rely. And Ahmed Rosario's put in his time. He's been up with the Mets for what three years now, something like that. I think that. this is his third or fourth it's year, his third full season. Yeah, and he's showed that he cannot perform consistently defensively. And Andres Jimenez has done that in twenty games. He's already proven in 20 games compared to Ahmed Rosario's three years that he is a better defensive player than Ahmed Rosario. Yeah. So like you said before, like you said in the beginning, bye-bye Ahmed Rosario or a position change is coming for him. I don't know. But you're right. The Mets need to really pick it up here. 7-11. and They're, They've lost two straight now against the Washington Nationals, defending champs after getting blasted in game one. And then just, again, with the runners and scoring position thing is abysmal. Like we didn't even really mention that, but we mentioned that in the beginning. But, wow, abysmal, terrible, yeah, absolutely horrible. So that's it really for baseball. The Yankees and the Mets going in two separate directions here. And when we come... The Astros suck. Oh, they are terrible. That's what we love to see, though. It's been Trastros. That's what we love to see, though. 
All right, so we will take our first break finally that we're like an hour in already. But you know what? We're having fun with this. <laughs> when we come back, we'll talk about the Giants and a couple of players opting out as well as a trouble, more trouble for DeAndre Baker. Not going to see him in a Giants uniform this year. The Jets have made some moves a little bit. We'll talk about them. And then, of course, the hockey. Rangers and Islanders, well, one of the teams in the playoffs, and the other one just got really damn lucky. We will be right back. You're listening to the Tri-State Sports Beat. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Tri-State Sports Beat. Nick and Scott here. Producer Joe is not with us. He's unavailable tonight. But I'm sure he would love to have been talking about the New York, his beloved New York Rangers tonight. But unfortunately, he won't be able to do that. Um, Good for us. But before we get to the playoff hockey, let's talk about, let's just talk about a couple things that we didn't get to talk about two weeks ago. Uh, We'll start off with the Giants. Nate Solder decided to opt out for the 2020 season. Really taking safety measures here. There's no question about that. He His son was battling cancer, actually, and Solder himself had battled cancer previously. And with a um, new baby boy on the way, you don't really want to take those risks. So a really safe approach for Nate Solder, going to opt out for the season. He's qualified as high risk, so by the league standards, he'll receive $350,000 advance on his salary. So... I mean, Nate Solder wasn't really playing too well in his tenure with the Giants anyway, but here's the thing. Andrew Thomas, the rookie, will now step in and play left tackle as opposed to originally was supposed to play right tackle. Now, that's his natural position, of course, at Georgia, and I think it's now an easier transition for him in the league now. But he has the huge responsibility in protecting Daniel Jones' blind side. Here's the other interesting thing. You have you now have Andrew Thomas slipping in at left tackle. So who's going to play right tackle? Right now, penciled in is rookie Matt Pert from UConn. Penciled in as a starting right tackle. Uh, my thoughts on this, you know, there's probably going to be competition at the right tackle position. Giants have some guys, not very good, but there's going to be some competition at the right tackle position. I don't know how I feel about having two rookie tackles starting on opening day when this is a really big year for Daniel Jones. Yeah, especially, you know, he had ball security issues last year with a lot of fumbles. Um, and especially, you know, Saquon Barkley needs to have a bounce back year this year as well. Mm-hmm. You know, starting two rookie tackles, I don't know if you're really setting them up for success, especially with no OTAs at all. Right. Like, we're, we're literally doing OTAs right now. Like, mm-hmm. the Jets just got on the field today. The Giants are getting on the field, I'm assuming, soon. I don't know if they've officially started yet or not. But, right. like, thank goodness that Mekhi Becton doesn't have to be in that situation. We're going to have a lot of veterans around him. He's yep. going to be the only rookie starting. So, yes, the, the group has to mesh together, but I, I think experience will come into a big play with the Jets' offensive line uh, compared to the Giants' one, with, sure. which both have not been good units in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but then here's this thing too. The O line depth is kind of limited for the Giants at this point. They got Thomas, they got Matt Pert at left and right tackle as it stands right now. But then backing them up is guys like Cameron Fleming, Nick Gates, who they just you know extended. These aren't great options. So if one guy goes down, they're kind of screwed. Yeah, and you cannot have that considering. I mean, we look at the weapons here. There's Saquon, yes. Okay, there's Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, Evan Ingram if he's healthy. Tight end position is what? Caden Smith right now? Eric Tomlinson? Nothing fantastic here. So 
now you could I think you could really raise the question right now. Do the I mean we've talked about this question with the Jets before if there's enough talent around Sam, is there enough talent around Daniel Jones for the Giants to be good enough and for him to succeed? What do you think? It's a very uh viable question to be asked and people think that you know Daniel Jones has all this talent in the world. Um, he's shown you know, it. He, he can over Yeah, he's shown it. He also, let's not act like he's been a world beater at quarterback. No. How many times did he fumble last year? Jamal Adams literally looked like a child. I'll let you know in about two seconds. But Like, let's not act like he was, you know, a world beater in his rookie season. 12 fumbles he, last year. Yeah. Like, Lost eight of them. That's not good. No. And, you know, you want to say Saquon Barkley right now based on what we've seen Previously is better than Le'Veon Bell. I, I agree. I think Le'Veon coming off a year where he didn't play and a year or two years ago where he didn't play. And then last year where he didn't play very well. We'll get to his comments about that in a little bit. But Saquon Barkley had a fantastic rookie season. Didn't play so well last year. Dealt with injuries. Also had his first career fumble last year. You know, there's a lot of questions. Both teams have very talented running backs for this quarterback to deal with. But let's not act like Sterling Shepard is a fantastic number one wide receiver. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue that Sam Darnold has better weapons, maybe more unproven weapons with Denzel Mims. You know, there's a lot of potential surrounding him. Jamison Crowder, you know, usually you don't want your best receiver being your slot guy. Perriman being unproven, Perriman. being considered a first round draft bust. Uh-huh. Chris Herndon, you know, not playing last year. There's, I think there's a higher ceiling in the weapons that Sam Darnold has around him than the Giants do. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, who knows what Evan Ingram's going to be? No, he might be hurt. Evan Ingram, I think, is the X factor for this offense. All right. And, like, you know, you look, is... at the, you look at this Giants wide receiver core, they're led by, you know, the hopeful Darius Slayton coming off a good rookie mm-hmm. season. Sterling Shepard yep. played, I don't know how many games last year, but he spent most of the year with a concussion last year. Golden Tate's getting up there in age. He's 32. Then you got unproven guys. Corey Coleman, Cody Core, uh, Austin Mack. Uh, you know, none of these guys, you know, yell at you, wow, got to watch out, got a game plan for this wide receiver. Nah. I don't know. I, just, I, I, I it's, it's weird how the subject is not being brought up with the Giants, whether they have enough talent, yep. but with the Jets. It's do it's, they have enough talent for Sam Darnold? There's a, an excuse for the Giants because, oh, they have a brand new head coach and Joe Judge didn't have OTAs, you know, didn't have, hasn't even met his players yet until now. Mm. Like there's that built in excuse. People already know Adam Gase is a horrible head coach. That goes so that's saying. why, I mean, we're also paying attention a lot more to the Jets, you know, scrutiny and, you know, all that kind of stuff um, surrounding them. We're paying a lot more attention to that than the Giants, you know. Uh, in that sense. But still, I, I do feel like in a lot of experts, people aren't really talking about the Giants and, you know, their potential struggles this year. They're just kind of boring. I mean, not to say they're boring, but, like, what do they really have going for them? Yeah, and, then like, let's not act like they have a fantastic defense either. No. Especially with, you know, let's get to DeAndre Baker now and his horrible situation, who's probably never going to see a football field ever again. Yeah, it's... uh. You know, a couple of days ago, breaking news that he was charged with four counts of robbery with a firearm. And uh, if convicted, the punishment 
is up to 10 years in prison, up to 10 years to life in prison. And you, and it shows how much, you know, he was involved in this because Quentin Dunbar, who was also, I'm pretty sure in the same thing, he was, mm-hmm. he was part of this whole thing too, you know, got let off the hook and the charges got dropped against him and he's back with the Seahawks. Right. That just shows how much trouble DeAndre Baker is in right now. His football career is over. Right. He is, and then not done. to mention too, that Sam Beal, who was a promising young corner has opted out of the season. Yeah. So now it's James Bradbury, their number one corner. They're paying him to be a shutdown corner. Behind him is Corey Ballantyne, Grant Haley, Chris Williamson. Like what? Well, they have um. They just signed some kid from the, Xavier McKinney. They drafted him. Yes, they drafted him. Yes. So you well, know he's that's a, a promising. He's a safety. Yeah, that's a promising safety that you know might be able to play you know a big role in this mm-hmm. defense. But again. I'm not just saying this because I'm a Jets fan and, you know, we don't love the Giants here. The Giants aren't getting enough, you know, questions asked about them. Right. People are just going, oh, it's Joe Judge's first season. You know, he's never coached an NFL team before as a head coach. Uh, This is fine. He's just going to, you know, this is a development year for them. They're the New York Giants. They've won two Super Bowls in however many years, Uh you know, the last 15 years. They're a franchise that is built on winning. And people, you know, yes, if the Jets won two Super Bowls in the past 15 years, I'm sure we would be a lot more patient too. Sure. But how much longer are Giants fans and the Maras and the Tishes going to put up with, you know, just... Mediocre, you know, less than mediocre football. Yes. Mediocrity, that, yes, that is a perfect word. Mm-hmm. All right, so I guess since we mentioned the Jets already, we'll get to our wonderful New York Jets. Um with some transactions, and then we'll talk about the media availability they had today. Um, releasing guard Brian Winters. Surprised, yes or no? Um, I thought that they were going to keep him based on the fact that he survived free agency on mm-hmm. the draft. I thought we were going to go into the season with him, but I think it makes some some sense to you know, cut him now. He's, you know, been a good, you know, servant to the franchise. And I think Joe Douglas, you know, wanted to allow him to go find himself a starting position uh, because of, you know, everything that's going on. He's That's a lot of money to pay a backup, you know, offensive lineman that most likely is not going to get very many snaps because Greg Van Roten is going to start at guard above him. Right. Uh, um, God. I, I, I think, you know, thinking about it, it's a smart move based on the money factors, if something comes up again in this offseason, I mean, no one can opt out anymore because of uh, the NFL deadline on that. But this gives the Jets a lot of flexibility, especially with C.J. Mosley opting out as well. They have about $15 million in cap space. that you know, as, they well, as, well as, the wonderful, like as well as the wonderful hyped Josh Doxson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, he was probably going to get cut anyway. Yeah, probably. Um, and also the release of... Once my favorite, now ex-New York Jet Quincy Inunua. Now, this is no surprise to me whatsoever. Um, no. Quincy is probably never going to play football again. Three, yep. neck, three neck surgeries in like three or four years. I feel bad for him because, again, we came into every Jet season saying, this is Quincy's year. This is his year yep. to prove it. Now, he's no longer a part of the team. Whether he gets a shot or not, I think maybe a team will take a flyer on a guy if he still wants to play. All depends on the health. Yeah. All He's going to have to pass, you know, a couple physicals and 
Like I really, like you said, I don't think he's going to play football ever again. You know, he showed a lot of potential. Uh, it was actually a good draft pick by, he was a McCagnan pick, wasn't he? In this first draft mm. or was he an Idzik pick? He was a Idzik pick. No, that's, that's how bad it is that you can't remember which horrible GM. <laughs> pick, uh... I believe it was an Idzik pick cause he was here, I think for the last year of Rex. Yeah, I, I don't, but whatever it is, he showed a lot of potential, uh, starting in that season where Chan Gailey was the offensive coordinator. And then, um, you know, that first season under Jeremy Bates too, yeah. uh, where he was the bubble screen, uh, specialist, sir. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he showed a lot of promise. It's really unfortunate that, you know, injuries took over his career and it's a sad ending to what could have been a very good career and, you know, lifetime jet maybe, but, all right, so let's get to what the Jets did today. Uh, you want to talk about the media availability? Yeah, I just wanted to bring up this one quote from Le'Veon Bell, um, who also talked about how he's in the best shape of his life since high school. He's down to about 205. He is literally at like 4% body fat. And he is literally being the great leader that you expect from a guy who, you know, a veteran in the locker room, <clears throat> Jamal. Um let me just pull up the quotes quick from today. Can I just mention? First, we'll get. Go ahead. Go ahead. Huh? What, can can I just mention too that I think this media availability calls for some breaking news because our wonderful head coach finally said that he was wrong for something. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I quote: "Last year, I did a bad job at the beginning of the season. I was really trying to get him going when talking about Le'Veon Bell's efficiency." Wow. That's like a breath of fresh air. But listen, I don't really fault him for that because Le'Veon Bell was clearly the best player we had in our offense. Oh, for sure. Like, like yes, he didn't really have the pieces around him to get him going, but I don't really blame Adam Gase for trying to get Le'Veon Bell very much involved mm-hmm. in the offense. It's great to hear him say, you know, I was wrong, and looking back on it now, I wish I didn't do that, but I don't really, you know, blame him for trying to do that in the beginning of the year. Oh, yeah, I don't either. But it's just the fact that Gase was has been such a point the finger, not the thumb kind of guy. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is shock. I was shocked to see that scroll across our Twitter feed from Rich Samini today. Yeah. But go ahead with the Le'Veon quotes. Um, I'm just scrolling through Gase's uh, things that you pretty much touched on. Le'Veon Bell says he's lightest he's been since high school. He's 210, 215, says he was a little annoyed hearing blame put on the offensive line. I was not the best I could be. Um, Bell said he lost some of his edge and chip last year. He always had something to prove, but couldn't find it last year. When in college, wanted to be in, wanted to be in the NFL. When in the NFL, wanted to be the best. He has it back this season. Um, Bell says he could have done more last year. There were holes. Coach Gase gave me the ball. Uh, Bell said Jamal Adams was a big reason he came to the Jets. Adams pitched to Bell what they were going to do together to turn this around, to tell me one thing. And then I talked to him and he said he wasn't going to try to force his way out. Mm -hmm. Bell said Adams was a great teammate, but sometimes you don't like how people handle things. Bell says he wants the best for Adams. When we play, we're going to play. So, uh, and then this one, I want you to give me your thoughts on this. Of course. Le'Veon Bell says Sam Darnold is a lot more comfortable this year. He's a lot more stern with guys and is holding players accountable. Bell says he's even seen Darnold correct a gaze sometimes. Listen. (laughs) 
that makes the hairs on my neck stand up. Because you need that out of your third-year quarterback. Yeah, but what does that say about our head coach, that our third-year quarterback... That he's a shit play caller, that we already know that. Yeah. But here's the thing. If Sam Darnold takes that leap, takes that leadership leap, and commands the huddle like, like we want him to, there's no stopping him. Yeah. Like the talent is there. Now Joe, if Joe was here, he would say, bah, bah, bah. "The talent's there. There's no question. We've seen him do it." I like that Sam is able cuz Sam doesn't like when you hear him talk to the media, right? It's very blah. It's very vanilla. I would love to be a fly on the wall when Sam Darnold is in the huddle in the in the yeah. uh, in the meeting room with his teammates. I would love to be on the fly on the wall when he's talking to Gase and say, hey, I don't like this. We need to change this. This is bad. Let's do this. Yeah. Now, you know, if Aaron Rodgers does that, that's being a diva. That's true. But it's a different circumstance considering the Jets have not done anything, and the Jets need that leader. Apparently, Jamal Adams was not that guy. Sam Darnold has been that guy all along is what it seems like. Mm -hmm. Well, what are your thoughts on that? I mean – like you, like you said, I think that really puts into question Adam Geese's, you know, oh, he's quarterback whisperer, quote, end quote. We know that he's not. Like, we yeah. know that. But I think that shows that Sam is very much more mature. You know, he's matured very much over his past, you know, now third season. He wants to take this franchise by the balls. Yeah. Essentially. He's not screwing around. He, like, he realizes, you know... This franchise is starving to be a winning football team. I think there are now pieces in place, other than the head coach, that can take this there. I think Sam will show a little bit more progression. I won't say that he will have a great year mm-hmm. because look at the schedule. You don't know about the weapons look at the and the schedule. I think you know. Go just going back to the schedule. I think there's winnable games in the division. I think we can sweep the Miami Dolphins, but I think you know it's good that we're playing Tua early. Um, if he's playing, if, if he's playing, I think that the Patriots will win one against, because let's be honest, they're not a very good football team right now, but they have the best coach probably in the history of the NFL on their side. And that can, and that head coach could probably get yep. the best out of Cam Newton, maybe. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you got to be and careful then, of that. Let's be honest. I don't think Josh Allen is a better quarterback than Sam Darnold, but Absolutely the Buffalo not. Bills are a better team than the Jets. The Bill, the Bills are the best, the favorite to win the division this year. Yes, they just gave their head coach an extension for a reason. He's a good coach. Yeah, so the Jets are going to have to probably go three and three or four and two in the division mm-hmm. to even have a chance at that extra wild card spot. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I think the Jets can surprise some people. I think we do this every freaking year, and it pisses me off. We do. We go into the season with some sort of you know, there's some light at the end of the tunnel because you see things turning around, and then when they get on the freaking field, they still suck every year. Well, I think the difference like, can we between just put it together one year. The difference between this year and last year is that last year we got the pieces. We thought we had the pieces. Le'Veon, Jamal, CJ Mosley uh-huh. didn't end up working out. We had questions about the offensive line, that's for sure, but we didn't think it was going to be that bad. Mm-hmm. We thought it was going to hold up. This year, tougher schedule unsure about some of the guys on the team, even more unsure about the head coach than we were a year ago. Still don't know what Joe Douglas is. Got to see what these draft picks are, even though we have a lot of trust in Douglas. 
I mean, you and mm-hmm. I have been very big Joe Douglas guys. Joe has been, okay, we'll wait and see. I mean, but that's fair. It's very fair it's to say. Definitely fair. Yeah. Fair opinion. But there's always going to be that optimism around what's this, what can this team do? Like, because we don't know what Denzel, let's just say, for instance, we don't know what Denzel Mims is going to turn out to be. We don't know how good Makai Becton is going to be. Those are the question marks. You know? So, mm-hmm. but the guy that this franchise, you know, the keys belong to Sam Darnold. And I feel like it has all along because of what we've seen happen with Jamal and his leadership, quote-unquote. I think it's been Sam this whole time. And I love the fact that he's taking, you know, he's taking the Ferrari for a ride. He, You know, he's saying, you know, saying to his teammates, get on my back, you know, and let's do this thing. Follow me and I will lead you there. That's what you want out of your quarterback. We, I don't, I don't think the Jets have had that for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. So I'm, exci- I'm excited to hear that from what you just told me. Listen, I think there's a lot of guys in this locker room that want to prove the NFL wrong, that they can perform and put um, results together. Right. How much stock we want to put in the 6-2 and two finish last year? I, can I, I, don't can I say something about that? I don't put any of that into anymore because this season is unlike any other. Yeah. Because, you know, who knows if the season's even going to start or even going to finish. So put 6-2 and two away. This is a completely new season, completely new offseason, completely new program. Don't, I mean, Jets fans are going to, varying Jet fans are going to have their opinion about whether they can carry the momentum from 6-2 and two last year. I didn't believe that before pre-corona, and I don't believe that post-corona. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but you can push 6-2 and two out the window for me. It's a new year, completely. And, you know... People want to say you only play the, the teams that are put in front of you. They still played the freaking basement of the NFL in those sure. last six games and those last eight games and lost to the Bengals and the Dolphins. So I don't know. It's going to be this team needs to get out to a quick start. Yeah. I think you say that about every, you know, you want that for every team to get out to a quick start, but I think it's a necessity for this team. It's important because it's important for every team this year because you don't know how the season's going to shake out. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So I but think good. You need to get confidence, go, like flowing in this locker room. Have to, and it all starts with the quarterback. And hopefully, we got all the divas out of the freaking room. We can only hope. All right. So let's transition to hockey before we break and talk about Scott. Scott, I think Scott's a little giddy over his Brooklyn Nets. I think I would be. <laughs> I would be if I were you. Um, let's talk hockey. Without Joe here, this might be a little brutal for you listeners out there. But we're gonna try our best. Let's start with those New York Rangers, shall we? Now, we were happy for a little bit because, again, Joe was, uh, you heard it in the beginning in the intro, Joe was not scared whatsoever of the Carolina Hurricanes. And I thought he was crazy. I'm like, Carolina's a good team. Oh, but the Rangers played them so good. Right. They got swept in three games. Like I said in the beginning, that game last night between the Blue Jackets and the Lightning Mm -hmm. almost lasted as long as the Rangers lasted in the Stanley Cup (laughs) qualifiers. Rangers scored four goals in the three games. And a whopping one for ten on the power play. And let's be honest, Henrik Lundqvist, awful. Is he's done. Finished. He's done. He not, not say he's awful. Very good goaltender. Probably one one of the best goaltenders of all time. Not better than Marty. No, definitely not. But it was he was kind of thrown into the situation. Yes, he could. He should have been ready for you know to start. 
but Shesterkin was unfit to play in games one and two. I still don't know what that means, but Henrik had to start, and he was just terrible. Now, I really wish Joe was here to explain himself why he wasn't scared of the Carolina Hurricanes and try and make up for, you know, being swept in this qualifying round, but Joe's not here, so we'll get that next time, though. Um, I've been hearing Ranger fans saying that David Quinn should be gone. Uh, I That's three games after being in a hiatus for months. You cannot judge David Quinn off these three games. It's because they had such high expectations coming in, and they completely fell flat. Exactly. That but, is why. Exactly. But not great. But then, of course, because Joe talked it up. Oh, the Rangers have a chance to win the cup and number one pick. Blah, 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 whatever. And, of course, <laughs> the Rangers land Alex Lafreniere. They get the number one pick in the lottery. Your thoughts, pal? I hate it. I, uh, it's, it sucks. I mean, let's be honest. The Rangers had to be, the Rangers had to go through it two years with us getting Nico and Jack, but this kid, Alexi Lafreniere has been talked about for a couple of years now. It's about this kid, two years. Probably the next Sidney Crosby and the fact that he can change a franchise around. But like yeah, what? Well, let's let's be honest. We can talk about oh, we have three draft picks in this in this draft. Yeah. If Tom Fitzgerald, you know, executes on two of the three, it will be a very successful draft for us. You want to give the argument of oh, quantity over quality or whatever? Let's be honest. The Devils better have a freaking good defense and goaltenders for the next ten years because the Rangers are freaking coming. Oh yeah. Panarin, Zabenajad, Lafreniere. Cry. I mean, we want to joke about freaking Kako being a bust, but. And playing on the fourth line with a defenseman. Mm-hmm. Let's be. They have him too. Uh, Chris Kreider. Yeah. Adam they, Fox. Well, let's be honest. Riley Riley Walsh made Adam Fox the defenseman he was at Harvard. So. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, well, let's talk about Riley Walsh for a second too. Great signing for the Devils. Yeah. I've seen him play three years at, when Quinnipiac has played against Harvard. Very good defenseman. Going to be very quick. Going to be very good on this power play. Him and Ty Smith could be a very dangerous. Like, I don't know how the handedness like works out and all that stuff. Right. And I don't know if they're, you know, uh, how did the Islanders not just score? <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, back to back to Riley Walsh and Ty Smith. I don't know how the handedness works there and everything, but I think Tom Fitzgerald is realizing that there needs to be some sort of defensive you know, mindset put on this franchise. This team leaks too many goals. You can't lose a 4 nothing lead to the Winnipeg Jets in the season opener at nope. home nope. and say that your defense is, you know, capable. We're bringing in Lindy Ruff, a so-called defensive guru, if you want to put it that way. I, I don't know if anyone's ever called him that, no. but I just I just defined Lindy Ruff as a defensive guru, I guess. <laughs> but uh, maybe the Rangers really missed him in this series. Uh-huh. Maybe he was the reason why the Rangers didn't win because their defense was leaking goals. I think you're just shooting your shot here, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm pulling, picking at straws here. Yeah, but uh, let's be like I'll say it again. The Devils better freaking figure out the defense mm. because the Rangers' freaking offensive firepower is coming. Yeah, absolutely. And I expect a defenseman drafted hockey in this draft to Tom Fitzgerald. Mm. Hopefully you're listening, Tom. <laughs> Someone said last night, 
where are we going to find a defenseman like Seth Jones or something like that? They're impossible to find. I forget who says it. It was probably a lightning person. I saw it on Twitter before. All right. But if that just shows how much, you know, um, weight needs to be, needs to be put on finding a fantastic defenseman or, you know, defense pairing, if you get that lucky, Mm -hmm. go out and find it. And hopefully we can figure this thing out. All right. Because there's, there's potential in the, in the forwards with Jack and Nico. Uh, but let's be honest, Lafreniere is probably better than both of them. Probably. He's a big prospect coming out because this kid's been talked about for years already. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the freaking Rangers had to win it. Well, I mean, yeah. the Rangers do have the awesome uh, depth that they do now, adding Alex Lafreniere, having Panarin, Kreider, Bushnevich. You know, having Zibanejad, all these goal scorers, Capo Caco, they're just going to be loaded now at this point. And, you know, you said it. You said it. The Rangers are now coming, so the Devils better straighten up defensively. But uh, See, the good thing is keeping all this young talent is going to be very hard in a couple of years. Yeah, it is. So their window is going – they're going to be a win-now team. I mean, oh, Panarin – Islanders just scored. Panarin is locked up, right? Yeah, they just signed him this offseason. Yeah, Panarin's I don't know how many up. years, but he's got a big contract. I think Zibanejad's got a couple more years. Yeah. Kreider well, we'll, just, we'll just signed the big contract. Um, So we'll see. Yeah, let's see how that one works out. Yeah, he we'll see. Signed the big contract and immediately got hurt. Yep. Uh, I'm going to look up the Rangers cap space currently. All right. Um, But well, I just mentioned the Islanders. They're currently playing the Washington Capitals. They earned the sixth seed in the... What was Braden Holpe doing there? They earned the sixth seed in the um, first round or the Stanley Cup playoffs. They matched up against the three-seeded Capitals. Um, looks like this is going to be a very, very, very physical series as there were already like three fights in the first period. Nice. It seems like there's some bad blood between these two teams. Um, Jordan Eberle just cut the deficit to one for the Islanders in the second period, but... Um, yeah, I'm very happy that hockey's back. Me too. Me too. I've been watching a lot more hockey than I have been basketball. Mm-hmm. All right, so I guess okay. let, I guess let's talk. Are oh, you looking up the cap space situation? Panarin, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, has seven more seasons at eleven point six million a year. Kreider has at least seven more seasons. It doesn't go past twenty five, twenty six. So I don't know if they're signed past that or not, but. Kreider is signed to the same length as Panarin uh, for six and a half million a year. Uh, Mika Zibanejad has three more years at, or two more years after this season at five point three five million as an unrestricted free agent in twenty twenty two twenty three. Kuchnevich, they're going to have to re-sign him uh, after next season. Ryan Strom, they're going to have to re-sign after next season. And then eventually, they're going to have to give Kako a, a contract. Yeah, Kako has two more years, and he's a restricted free agent. Um, they just signed Morgan Barron out of Cornell, who's supposed to be a really high prospect. He'll be uh, on a three-year entry-level contract after next year. They have Truba signed for the next seven seasons at eight million a year. That um, might that might end up being a boss contract. Yeah, uh, Adam Fox. They have two more years of an entry-level deal with him. So uh, Tony D'Angelo. They he's a restricted free agent after this year, so they have to work something out with him. He's going to probably get a pretty decent contract. He's been sure. looking good this season. Uh, like a, like we just said, or I just said, they have a, they're going to have to, you know, get creative with their cap space. 
Yep. They're going to have to pick and choose which, you know, young guys they're going to want to uh, give up and, you know, keep because it's going to get fishy, especially when you have Lafreniere, who's probably going to make $10 million after his entry-level contract. Yep. All right, so I guess let's touch on the Islanders real quick. They're playing the Capitals right now in round one of the playoffs. They beat the Panthers in four games in the Stanley Cup qualifiers. J.G. Pajot has really paid off for them. He scores three goals in the four games. He's been great all over the ice. I kind of forgot they traded for him. Yeah, he's been quite the trade uh, trade deadline acquisition for them. And then, of course, Anthony yeah. Bovillier was the story in game in game four, scoring two goals. He had three, three total goals in the series. And then Varlamov was... Um, you know, he was good in the four games. He had 93.2 save percentage, you know, gave up his share of goals in this series, but the Isles defense, the Isles offense, excuse me, was able to really put the puck in the back of the net in this series against the Florida Panthers. Yeah. I mean, I think Islanders fans coming into this series where they wanted to play the Capitals, um, out of the other teams they could have played. Um, I don't know. Stanley Cup champions, maybe they thought that Barry Trotz would know how to beat them because of, you know, he's won a Stanley Cup with Washington and he has a lot of experience with that franchise. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, 2-1 down in in game one going into the third period. Uh, I don't know. I I think it's going to be a tough series for the Islanders to win. I I wouldn't mind seeing them, you know, make a little bit of a run. Yeah. I I mean, it's something for us to talk about. Yeah, they have... They have a lot of talent on this team. They I mean, do. you look at, at defense, Devon Taves uh, has been – I think he's very much underrated. I mean, that could just be me and my Quinnipiac uh, affinity. No, I, no talking, I'll, back you up. I'll back you up there. He's been very solid. Mm-hmm. You know, you sign Andy Green, a, a shot blocker, a veteran defenseman. Um, he's going to add a lot of ex- experience in the back end. Um, Nick Letty, of course, Andy Green, former yep. devil. Mm-hmm. So – they they have a lot of firepower on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, I love. I've always loved the Islanders' offense: Barzal, Brock Nelson, Pajot, Jordan Eberle. I've loved it. I've loved this offense. Now the um, great play of Anthony Beauvillier, guys like Anders Lee. I think. I mean, they're as complete of a team as you can see right now in the NHL. Yeah, uh, and you saw in the beginning of the year they started out like incredibly hot, mm-hmm. and then kind of fell off right before the. Uh, after the All Star break, really, they weren't very good. Right? They, you know, were were a top team. They could have, if they kept up their play, they could have been in that round robin one through four seating. Yeah, they could have uh, definitely tournament. Yeah, but you know, they have the talent there. They showed it in the beginning of the season that they can win a lot of a lot of hockey games. They have a very experienced head coach who knows how to uh, win a Stanley Cup. Like I said, with the Capitals. So if they can, you know. Who knows how this game will end, especially with all the overtime games we've seen in the NHL so far. If the, if the Islanders can scrape one back here, they've had some pretty good chances in this second period, but they're they're taking a ton of penalties. They're not very disciplined in this game. That's going to have to change them to win this series. They've given the Capitals five power plays, and the Capitals have scored their two goals uh, on the power play. So, and just before we take a break, boy, did we call the Toronto Maple Leafs first round exit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, Pajama Boy, how's that working out for you, pal? Just wondering. Just wondering. All right, we will take another break. We come back. We will finish up talking about Scott's Brooklyn Nets, and they are quite the bubble team. So a lot of expect, maybe some expectations going into the playoffs. We'll see what happens. Let's let's pump the brakes. All right. I just want to get you a little excited. That's all. (laughs) All right. So we will talk Nets when we come back to finish it out. You are listening to Tri-State Sports Beat. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. 
All right, everybody, welcome back to the Tri-State Sports Bee. We'll finish out episode number 115. Scott, take it away with your Brooklyn Nets, pal. All right, I'm going to start this out with, I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit. Yes, it's great to see them win these games, but the teams that they've beaten, in let's just look at the Bucs. Um, the the Bucks, you know, are they didn't have Giannis or Chris Middleton in the second uh, in the second half. half in that game. They uh, and then the Clippers, they didn't play Paul George or Patrick Beverly. Um, I don't know. I think we need to pump the brakes. Jock Vaughn is the big question, like coming in and out of this, because it, the question will stand is. Is KD and Kyrie, is he going to be able to manage them? He's a first-time head coach. He's done a great job with this team. Let's not, you know, let's not take that away. He's done a great job for this team. And You're not even the most loyal. You're not even excited a little? I mean, I'm excited. It's nice to see because Karras has looked fantastic. Timothy Luavu Cabarello has looked unbelievable. He is, you know, really, you know, surprised, uh, you know, coming into this. I think that. You know, it was really unfortunate to see Jamal Crawford go down against the Bucks. Um, he looked really good in the in the short time that he played, but let's be honest, the Raptors are a much better team than the Nets. The the good teams they've beaten have rested guys. They have not beaten them at full strength. Yes, the Clippers did have Kawhi, but I don't know. I, I'm not getting too 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 excited because I don't think they're. I don't even know if they're going to be able to win a game against the Raptors. In, in the first round, you don't think they could steal one? They might, but I don't. They're they're not going to win the series. Five and one looks pretty good in this bubble, though. I I mean, if it were me, I'd be like, all right, let's go, let's bring on the Raptors. But I mean, you're more realistic than I am in some some aspects. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't see it happening. I think maybe they could steal one from the Raptors. I think they could steal one. You don't know? They might. I mean, uh, as long as. Nothing drastic happens to guys like Jared Allen, Karis Levert. I mean, the the Nets will be competitive. I'll give them that. I mean, so so let's just say, what is your outlook? I mean, they've already locked up the seventh seed. They're going to play the Raptors in the playoffs in the first round. So what are you looking to see when the Nets take on the Raptors in the series? I just want, like, these, you know, these very much in the rotation Nets players like Jared Allen, Karis Levert, Joe Harris. Um, I want them to continue to get experience in the playoffs because I'm still a believer that Karis LeVert is going to be the third star for this team. There's no reason to trade Brad- for Bradley Beal or any other star. Oh, you've made that very clear. Yeah, they need to keep their organizational depth. And I think just seeing these guys progress, I mean, Luau Cabarro has really, you know, emerged as a, as a very important player for this team, especially when Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, and Joe Harris have all been out. They're playing, you know, kind of just a piece together team, and they're somehow getting results out of it. Um, I don't know. Just seeing those guys progress is going to be the uh, is going to be what I look for in the series. Hey, if they can steal one or two games, that that'd be fantastic. I also think it's going to be interesting to see how Jacques Vaughn continues to progress as the head coach of this team. Um, but you know. Any sort of playoff experience is good for um, is good for this young team with without their two stars. 
All right, so we will look forward to seeing the Nets take on the Raptors. At least, I mean, at least they're in, right? Could be a lot they're worse. In. They could, they're in. They're locked in. We will have some playoff basketball in New York. And we got the Islanders to look forward to. And, of course, everything going on in baseball with the Yankees and the Mets. So that'll do it for us, everybody. Hopefully we sounded better. Hopefully the show sounded better to everybody. And uh, surely <laughs> had fun doing this. And it's going to be fun going forward. Um, that does it for us. Thank you guys for listening to episode number 115 of the Tri-State Sports Beat. Thank you all for sticking around. Hope you all enjoyed it, as always. If you don't already, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TSSB Pod for daily updates on all nine New York sports teams. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and the Radio.com app, as well as your favorite podcast platform. Also, stay tuned for weekly bonus content, including photo edits, as well as additional audio clips and all that good stuff. And uh, thank you all for listening. We will see you next time here on the Tri-State Sports Beat. Goodbye! It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Salt and pepper and heavy tea up in the limousine. And the pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic Molly Mall. Hello, Brooklyn. I love your corners. I'm happy soul. I love your corners. I'm happy soul. I love your corners. I'm happy soul. I love your corners. I'm happy soul.